It's uh, December. We're in the Jesus is King. You know, before Kanye figured that out. Uh, um, but I appreciate leaders and influencers that are discovering for the first time. I was watching this interview with uh, Kim Kardashian and she's like, all I can tell you is this, something has happened in my husband. What he's experiencing is real. He really believes this. He knows this to be true. Oh man, doesn't matter where you are in culture, Jesus is big enough to be your king. It doesn't matter how much money you have, how much influence you have, he is big enough. He is big enough to be your king. He's not intimidated by anybody or anything. He's comfortable in your presence. Let's give it up for this amazing worship band. You guys are good to go. Well, I'm gonna go somewhere uh, I've never gone. <laughs> and it's because I'm somewhere I've never been. Three weeks ago today, I got that call that I knew was going to come one day, but I guess you're never quite ready for that call when it comes. And it was my dad. He called me up. He said, Colin, uh, I need you to come up here. Your mom has 24 to 48 hours to live. I want you to come up and say goodbye. And, and uh, so Josiah was with me, my son Josiah, and he gave, gave me a big hug. He said, Dad, I'm coming with you. So we headed up to Seattle, Washington, where I was born and raised, and to say goodbye, to honor my mom. And uh, what happened, I really wasn't prepared for. Um, we showed up, and she's been in a memory care facility for the last five or six years. So it's, it's not like we've been able to communicate for a while, you know. And so I was kind of numb to the reality. But when you're seeing your mom on her deathbed ready to step off of this planet, uh, it, you know, you just can't really prepare for that. And we were up there, and my brother who's a great man of God, and I were in the room, and Josiah was in the room, and, and we were just praying. And, and I gotta tell you something, uh, there was a peace in that room that I can't describe, that I can't put into words, that I know is real because I'm a person of faith. But there are times where you get close to realities that are promised, and they become your reality. So this was my mom who loves sailing, who loves the outdoors, who loves biking and hiking. This is my mom who studies and loves birds. Go to her house and there's binoculars and bird books and everywhere she's just fascinated with, with birds. This is my mom who loves books. When I was in middle school, she was the librarian. Oh yeah, don't put anything on a book. Books are valuable. This was my mom who was always singing. The Beatles, Creedence Clearwater, Luciano Pavarotti. She was just fascinated with singing. In fact, um, when she was 20 years old, she met my father as she was singing in a nightclub in London. 
This is my mom who risked everything she knew to move from the United Kingdom to the United States. Who would have thought that she'd be creating such space for her children? This is my mom who's five foot tall and Scottish and proud of it. You wonder why my dad was 6'3 and I ended up six foot negative three. Well, it's because my mom was five foot. <laughs> this is my mom who always encouraged me to play sports and drove me to endless baseball and soccer practices. It's my mom who sacrificed everything so I could go to college and be the first one to graduate from, from my family. It's my mom who was the first one to tell me that I was a great leader. My mom, who was maybe the most stubborn woman in the history of women and in the history of stubbornness. And this is my mom who gave her life to Jesus Christ in her 60s. And this is my mom who is in paradise right now. Yeah. Man. I need to be honest with you, though. She's not in paradise today because she was a great mom. She's in paradise today because... She had a great savior. Well, we were in that room. Um, it was just me and my brother and Josiah. And I asked Josiah if he wanted to come in with us and pray. And, and uh, he's like, I want to come in. And he was just sitting in the chair. And my brother and I were praying. And I mean, literally seeing all kinds of realities. Seeing all kinds of the gifts. Seeing her legacy. Seeing her lineage. Seeing her posterity. Seeing the things that were going to be um, lived out in, in us and in our grandkids. And seeing her gifts and talents. The mantles that were on her life that God didn't want us to drop. I mean, it was just the realities of heaven were so profound in there. The presence of God was so wild. And I asked Josiah, do you want to pray? He's like, no, I'm good. He was just sitting there chilling. And so after my brother and I were kind of done, Josiah said, uh, I, I see a vision. I see a vision. and I was asking him about it afterwards. I was even asking him about it today, just making sure I got it right. And I'm like, what, what was it like when you were in that room? He's like, I felt like we were with God. He, he wasn't just doing it. We were with him. We were with him. And uh, here's what he saw. He said, I saw a picture of a really, really long rope. Really, 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 really long rope. And on the tip of the rope was this red cap. He said, the cap represented Yaya, that's what we call, you know, my mom. And uh, I don't know which grandkid was responsible to utter Yaya, but that's where it ended up, you know. And uh, he's like, I saw this little red cap on the very tip of this rope. And that represented, represented Yaya's life here on earth. But this, this exceedingly endless, long, white rope represented eternity. 
And I thought just the reality of eternity was fascinating enough. And, but as I was preparing this message, um, and, and I got to be honest, this whole reality of eternity has been gripping me. I've been reading books on heaven and, and reading books on like what's paradise and, and what are we really coming into, you know, at the end of this short life, however long it is. Um, and as I was just been processing all this, it wasn't just the length of it, it was it was the color of the tip. And what God kind of showed me as I was preparing for tonight was the whiteness of the rope represented the purity, the uncorrupted, the undefiled ever, forever. Uncorrupted forever. But the red tip represented the blood of Christ that purchased eternity uncorrupted. You see, when we were originally created, we were uncorrupted. There was nothing corruptible when Adam was breathed his first, formed from the earth, the life of God is breathed into him, and everything is perfect. It's interesting, my mom battled fear, bitterness most of her life. But you know, Adam never dealt with bitterness. Never dealt with fear. Never dealt with insecurity. He was formed in an incorruptible earth. And so as I've been processing, what is paradise? What are we really getting ready for? What did Christ die for us to access? He died to access his original intent for us. So what's my mom doing right now? I used to think maybe she's just floating around on a cloud, you know, playing a harp. <laughs> I'm, on, I'm honestly telling you that I think that's a doctrine from hell because that doesn't light me up. I don't want to float around on a cloud one day. I want to do something. I want to live. You know, I'll bet you my mom right now, she's probably hiking. She's probably sailing. You see, because it wasn't an accident when God created the earth. He didn't accidentally create the earth and say, oh, that was a mistake. Let me wipe away all matter, all existence, all animals. They were all created for us, for our experience, for our pleasure. And then we were made in his likeness to co-create with him forever. I'm sure my mom's sailing. I was wondering, is there animals in heaven? You know what I mean? I don't know about you, but I've been like, I ask questions like this. And most of the time I don't because I don't care because I'm trying to bring heaven into the earth. I'm trying to, I'm trying to just, just live, you know. I'm not always thinking about heaven. Until wow. three weeks ago. I'm realizing there's birds in heaven. Because there was birds in the garden. There's animals there. I always used to, you know, passionately Leanne. She's like, I know there's dogs in heaven. I'm like, eh, I don't know, man. Flip a no, there's not cats in heaven. You know what I mean? <laughs> then you know what? I realized that, that there, there's animals there because there's animals in the garden. They were God's original creation for us, you know. And so I just started processing that heaven is going to be amazing. It's going to be paradise. And 
And if you want a glimpse of what it's going to look like forever, take a look at the greatest days of your life here. Because the, the earth is the closest you'll get to heaven and hell. Your greatest days. You know, I was even thinking about tears, you know, because it says he'll wipe away every tear. Actually, you know what? He won't. Because in the garden, tears were never created for sorrow. They were actually created for laughter, for being thrilled, for being amazed, for being astounded. These tear ducts were made for us to just be blown away by the goodness of God. When's the last time, when's the last time you cried because you were just so happy? You were so breathtaking, so stirred, so overwhelmed with emotion for the right reasons. That's paradise. My question is, what does your paradise look like? Because I'm realizing that God wants to take us in to his paradise for us. Now, he doesn't want us to wait till it's all over. He wants us to begin to live with eternity in mind today and access the paradises of God, the kingdom of God. That's the, the Jesus' prayer. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So what's paradise look like? I was thinking about it. I was thinking about it for me. I like competition. I do. And I can't imagine God wiring somebody who has to compete and then taking that away from them and calling that heaven. No, 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 no. No, no, what it is, is it's incorruptible, though. It's, it's not a corrupted version of competition. Let me tell you the difference. I remember one time I was at Emerge, and one of the things I love about Emerge Men's Conference is we compete. I mean, like, there's winners and losers. And it's like, oh, I mean, you're just, you're just so exhilarated by the, the fact that, that you're competing. And I remember I was just, I was caught up in the paradise of competition. Oh, yeah. It was paradise for me. I mean, we had an MMA fight during worship at our last Emerge. And I don't know where I was encountering God more, during the fight or during the singing. It was all the same. It was like all this extraordinary encounter. Now, 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 though, here's the challenge, though. Here's the challenge. There was a brief moment where it was just blissfully competitive. Then I had this thought, well, what if we lose? What is so-and-so gonna think? And I realized the incorruptible creation of competition was now corrupted by the fear of failure, need for approval. And all of a sudden, the motive of competition changed. It changed from it being this blissful pre-wiring that, that somehow glorifies God because it's just amazing and, and he's just amazing to all of a sudden I needed to win for different reasons. This sick, corruptible thing began to dominate a pure wiring and I was corrupted now by competition. So what I love about heaven is I get to live out my paradise incorrupted. What's your paradise? What's your paradise? 
Imagine love, just being in love with no fear, with no fear of trust issues, with no, no fear of pain, no fear of disappointment, no fear of abandonment, no fear of rejection. And what I love is my eternity dipped in the blood of Christ translates to incorruptible paradise. This isn't the normal stuff like for me. I'm trying to help people grow businesses that have purpose. But God has interrupted my life, and he's got me thinking about eternity. He's got me thinking about eternal things. Amen? I better keep moving. He's the king of heaven. He's the king of heaven. I want to share a couple of scriptures. This first one's out of Luke. I'm just going to read three scriptures. It's going to be Luke 23 to 43, Revelation 2, 7, and then 2 Corinthians 12, 2 through 4. First one, remember this is the time where Jesus is hanging on the cross and one of the guys next to him says, hey, remember me when you come into your kingdom. He says, truly, I tell you, today you will be with me in paradise. Not someday, today. I'm confident where my mom is, today. Revelations 2.7, whoever has ears, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches, to the one who is victorious. I will give the right to eat from the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. This is Paul, who wrote most of the Bible, two-thirds of it, having like an encounter with God where he doesn't even know if it's himself, if he doesn't know if it's, he's in his own body. He's trying to, I mean, there are places you can go in God where you're just completely undone. Get this. He's like, I know a man in Christ who 14 years ago got caught up to the third heaven, wherever, I don't know about the second or the seventh, I, I don't know, I just know I was somewhere I've never been, okay, and, um, and I know this man, whether in the body or apart from the body, I, I don't know, but God knows, I was caught up to paradise, and I heard inexpressible things that no one is permitted to tell, I'm going to tell you, you're going to have a body in heaven, and I'll tell you why, because you were created one originally. And as God restores everything, it's just going to work. It's just going to function. It's not going to be riddled with brokenness and dysfunction. I love being a part of a church that brings heaven to earth and brings the will of God and the intent of God and the intent for God's paradise into your today. But I just want you to know it's bigger than today. He's the king of heaven, but he's also the king of kings. I've been studying these two men that have just blown my mind, and they have spent their life potentially bringing more people into paradise than anyone in the last hundred years, okay? And I want to tell you a little bit of their history. One of them, his name is Bill Bright. Bill Bright founded a ministry called Campus Crusade for Christ. 
He actually started John Heinrichs at UCLA in 1951. Within one year, by 1952, Bright's Campus Crusade had reportedly converted 250 students at UCLA, including the student body president, the campus newspaper editor, and several athletes, including an African-American decathlete and future Olympian named Rafer Johnson. One major motivating concern at the time for Bill Bright was the radical, the radical socialism that was being indoctrined into our students at UCLA. Wow, wow, wow. What I love is when things get dark, God likes to show up and bring light. One of the things that God can't work with is people who think things are getting worse. <laughs> he can only work with people who are bent on bringing heaven into the earth. Bill Bright was one of those guys. He wrote a book called The Four Spiritual Laws. The first time this guy ever led somebody to Jesus was using one of Bill Bright's books. It's the simple gospel. God loves you, has an extraordinary plan for your life. We've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. But God loves us. And he sent his one and only son to die for us. But it's not enough that we just believe that. We must individually receive him and make him the Lord of our life. Bill Bright changed my life with the gospel, made it simple. Trained me, actually. We used to do this thing called evangelism explosion. <laughs> and we would go out and share those tracks. And, you know, I didn't... I'm not saying it's the best method today, but I'm just saying the gospel is powerful and it opens eyes and it transforms lives. So get this, by 2010, Campus Crusade had over 25,000, not people who've gone to paradise or eternity or have come to Christ, 25,000 leaders that were going into all the world telling the greatest story ever told. I'll get this. There's another guy who's also from California. I think some of the greatest movements of God are gonna be birthed right out of our state. I'll tell you why. Because God likes to be glorified, and if he can find dark places and show intense light from dark places, I think people might say, can anything good out of, come out of California? Yeah, you. You. You came out of this state. Get this. Next guy's name's Lauren Cunningham. Born and raised in California. At the age of 13, he heard the call to be a missionary. At the age of 20. Is anybody in here in their 20s? Oh, let's go, Sterling Pyle. Raising an army, man. At the age of 20, he got a vision from God. In his vision, he saw waves crashing on every shore around the world. And he felt that his calling was to send waves of young students into every country in the world. Currently, there are 20,000, not converts, laborers, workers, people that have answered the call to go into all the world 
to tell people about the paradise of God and make sure they're not spending their life, their eternity, absent of him. Get this, though. When they, in 1975, these two guys, and here's the thing. When you are leading a movement of 20,000 people, you're not necessarily open to what everybody has to say because not everybody can relate. Pastor Becky said something uh, today that I loved and didn't love. By the way, you got to get her message. That message was crazy. But she said, people don't care how much you know unless they know how much you care. Sometimes. I'm in the marketplace. People don't care how much you know unless they know you're winning. (laughs) So I imagine there was a whole lot of people that could have talked to Bill Bright, but he might not have had a whole lot of ear to them because they didn't carry the same weight as him. But Lauren Cunningham, on the other hand, was one of the people that had Bill Bright's attention. Because these, both these guys have an army of people that are being sent into every, every um, nation of the, of the earth to tell the story that they live their lives for. So guess what happens? Bill starts to feel like God's given him a message for Lauren. And Lauren's like, yeah, if Bill wants lunch with me, yeah, he's probably worth my time. So they meet, and um, Bill hands him a napkin with what he felt God's word was for how to strategically evangelize the world. Here's the challenge. Before this meeting, God had given Lauren a message for Bill. So which one's right? Is Lauren right? Bill right? Guess what? They had the same message. And they're like sharing with each other like the exact same images. And you know what it was? God had spoken to them that the way to tell the greatest story ever told, it was they were going to have to teach people how to take every sphere of culture. And they had these seven spheres of culture. Government, arts and entertainment, media, education, business and finance, religion, and family. And here's these guys that are rocking the world with the gospel. And they're hearing like, if we're going to continue to reach and influence the world with the message we know that is the most imperative, not only to get people into paradise, but to get paradise into the earth, that we're going to need to raise leaders who take every sphere of culture. One of the things I love about this church is uh, we believe God raises up kings and priests. Let me share this scripture with you. This is out of uh, Revelation 5. How we doing? Good? Get this. It says, they sang a new song saying, you're worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals for you were slain and have redeemed us to God by your blood out of every tribe and tongue and people and nation, have made us kings and priests to our God, and we shall reign on the earth. Then I looked and I heard the voice of many angels around the throne, the living creatures and the elders, and the number of them was 10,000 times 10,000, and thousands and thousands saying with a loud voice, worthy is the lamb who was slain, 
to receive power and riches and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and blessing and every creature which is in heaven and on the earth and under the earth and such as are in the sea. And all that are in them I heard saying, blessing and honor and glory and power be to him who sits on the throne and to the lamb forever and ever. You know what I love is, is as I've been kind of processing this is the when I see somebody like a Sterling Pyle, stand up real quick, Sterling. Um, is, uh, as I was preparing this message, I felt God tell me that the future, God's turning a switch in young people right now. And, and I felt God wanted me to tell you that d- don't just look for converts, look for leaders. Look for leaders because people wanna, are going to want to get behind you and they're going to want to get on the same mission. And, and I'm going to tell you, get ready for God to, turn, to flip a switch on college campuses, to flip a, to flip a switch with young people. Flip a switch. And I'm going to tell you, go after. Don't just go after the, the down and out. Go after the, those that, that are out of purpose, that are out of, of eternal destiny. They may be the winners on every campus. I'm telling you, God is going to turn and he's going to give you the, the influencers of culture. Go after the influencers. I'm going to tell you something. It's not party time. It's purpose time. It's purpose time. It's purpose time. And, and God is going to, he's not going to give people that just want to go hang. They're gonna, he's going to give you people that want to get to work, that are going to have strategies to take campuses and strategies to take territory. Remember, I feel like even that spirit of Bill Bright, that mantle that was on him to turn college campuses on their head is being picked up by you. Yeah, get ready. Give it up for uh, Sterling. I'm, gr- I'm really glad... God, God brought you here, Sterling, to this church. But I'm going to tell you something. The call of God was on you before he brought you here. This call has been on you for a long time. You won't be disappointed. It's going to be an army of people around you. Alrighty. He's the king of heaven. He's the king of kings. He's the king of every sphere of culture. When I was first a Christian, I mean, you could only do like two things for God. You could be like a missionary or you could be a pastor. And I couldn't sing, you know, so I certainly wasn't called to worship. Thank God that God calls people into every sphere. Thank God we can build businesses for him. Can I be honest? In heaven, people are going to be building stuff creating stuff, designing things. I was thinking about my, Melissa's heaven. It's going to be coffee there. <laughs> Not because you're like asleep, because you'll be wide awake, but you just like the taste of coffee. It's going to be York peppermint patties there, <laughs> something like that. It's going to be dancing there. It's going to be theater, probably, um, what's that, what's that, uh, show I can't stand, The Nutcracker. (laughs) See, The Nutcracker will be in my hell, (laughs) but it'll be in her heaven. See, I'm, 
I'm not convinced that God has to make me like the nutcracker for heaven. I'm convinced heaven's just big enough for me to be able to do the things that I'm pre-wired to do. And you're going to have so many friends in heaven that are going to go see that show with you. I'll tell you something, though. Um, we're not doing these seven spheres of culture without purpose. See, our eternity began when we received Christ. And the purpose of our building businesses, building industries, stepping into education, into politics, is so that we can make space to bring the eternities of God, the principles of God, the promises of God into this earth, and to bring people into this earth, into the realities of eternity, okay? But it starts right now. One of the things I love, though, is, you know, I actually love sitting on, the board, on boards. I love strategy. And I was thinking about it. In heaven, there's going to be strategies and, you know what I mean, just incorruptible strategies to keep building things. Nothing you do right now is meaningless. He's the king of heaven. He's the king of kings. But my final point, he's the king of me. When I was 20 years old, I'm going to close with this. When I was 20 years old, um, I heard the gospel, well, at least it felt like for the first time. It was the first time where, like, I felt like the preacher was speaking just to me. I felt like I was all alone in this room, and it was, like, right, right into my heart. And, and I remember at 20 years of age, um, putting my hand up and at the time we had this we'd open up the altar and you could come down and get prayer and and I remember it was almost like I don't know something was just compelling me and calling me to come down to the altar to respond to to this Jesus that I'd I think heard about for the first time and, and it was great and something definitely happened there but then I went off to college and and I realized that uh I believed in him but I didn't really want to live for him. I still wanted to live for me. And uh, I had a lot of preferences. Some of them were sexual. <laughs> and I didn't want to surrender those. I know you love me. I'm grateful that you died for me. But I'd prefer to live for me. <laughs> Anybody? <laughs> I know you're good. It's pretty obvious that there's evil in the world. Uh, I can tell you're good and you love me, but I'm not quite ready to live for you. Uh, remember, I had a girlfriend at the time, and it was stupid because I couldn't even be faithful to her, even if I wanted to be, and yet I was afraid to let go of that relationship because I didn't know if I could imagine myself without it. And, and so I just kept going back to this relationship that I knew wasn't the best for me, but it was, I just wasn't ready to surrender. You know what I'm talking about? And I remember I was in Hawaii. I was working at a restaurant called Lure Street Fish Company, and I started dating on the side this other girl, and 
she was what they called this backslidden Christian. I didn't even know what that was. <laughs> you know, maybe you do, but basically it was somebody that liked God and was into God and then kind of walked away from him for a season. And we started connecting at this, uh, this restaurant. And I was like, I don't know if you guys are ever like this, but I had these seasons where I was kind of up and interested in God. And then I'd come back down and I was like kind of interested in other stuff. And then things would get crappy and all of a sudden I'm more interested in God again because you know, you know what I mean? And then things get better and then I'm not interested in him again. And it was just kind of like that for me, you know? Um, and I was dating this girl, kinda. And uh, we, brought, we went back to my house, or my apartment in Hawaii. And, and somebody had passed me this little card, like a, on a business card, but it had a scripture on it. And uh, it said, when two or three come together in my name, I'll be with you. And I remember I had the card and I pulled it out of my wallet. And I'm like, hey, we should try this. We should try this. She's like, fine, let's try it. So we held hands and we, this is like crude. We didn't hardly know anything. We certainly didn't have a C3 church like teaching us what it was all about. You know what I mean? We were just trying to figure this stuff out. So I'm like, all right, God, your word says if two or three people come together in my name, you'll be with them. Well, we just, we invite you to come and be with us. It's like, this is like a Ouija board. I mean, what are we doing here? You know what I mean? Just being straight, this is what it was like. It was crude. You wanna know what happened? He showed up. He, he showed up in my apartment. And I, I don't remember what happened to that girl. I remember I had almost like an encounter like, like Paul was talking about. I, I was just out of my body. I, was out, I don't know if I was in it or out of it. I just know I was in the presence of God. And, and here's the things that I realized in that reality is that he's holy, amazing, astounding, different than me. When you get into his presence, you realize that you've been corrupted. You're of a, of a corruptible nature and he's not. And one of these was superior than the other and I realized that his holiness, uh, I was undone, I was unfit to be in the presence of something so remarkable. The next thing I realized is uh, this love he had for me. It, it undid me, it, it turned me upside down. Um, I think the whole reason my life was broken was because I was hungry to be loved and yet afraid to go all in. And so for the first time I was encountering this love and and I just wanna tell you what happened to me that day. And that was the day I said, God, you're my king. I don't just believe in you anymore. I wanna live for you. I wanna give you my life. I, I wanna live for this reality, the reality that you're holy, the reality that you love me, that, that the reality that you're, you're so real and, and I said, here I am, here's my life. Will you use me to tell this story? I had no idea how holy you were. I had no idea how much you loved me. I had no idea how real you were, how potent you were. 
but here's my life. Will you use it? So as we come to a, a close here, he's the king of heaven. Heck yeah. He's the king of kings. He's the king of me. But let me ask you, see the king of you. He loves you. He's crazy about you. But have you really said yes to him? Yes, your ways are higher than mine. Yes, your ways are better than mine. I'm tired of the ups and downs. I'm ready to go all in. I think that's the call tonight. You know, there wasn't a whole lot of heaven in my life when I was double-minded, wishy-washy, up and down. Even though I believed in him, there wasn't a whole lot of heaven in my life. Whole, there wasn't a lot of paradise. You know when paradise began? When I surrendered. When I say, yeah, I got some appetites for some of these sexual expressions, but I surrender them to what you say about the confines of dating, sex. I know you meant it for good, but I'm gonna trust to wait for it your way so I can experience paradise in this segment of my life. Tracking with me? I think a lot of us wonder why we don't experience paradise. Paradise is on the other side of surrender. It's not on the other side of just believing that he loves you. It's on the other side of surrender. I believe his presence is here tonight and he wants you to have an encounter with his holiness. Thank you for tuning in, church. We hope this message reached your heart and was one in season for you. We're eager to hear how God is moving in your world. If you have a praise report or prayer request, send us an email at online at c3sandiego.com to share. Also, to partner with us financially so we can reach people all over the world, go to c3give.com. We know you'll be blessed by your giving. Thanks again, church, and until next time, we'll see you soon.